Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I've chosen an episode from Candy Matson, Yukon 28209, The Devil in the Deep Freeze. The San Francisco-based detective program is created by husband and wife team Monty and Natalie Masters. Monty wrote the tongue-in-cheek scripts, and Natalie starred as Private Eye Candy Matson. The scripts were packed with snappy dialogue, local references, and a cast of lovably over-the-top characters, including Candy's eccentric pal Rembrandt Watson, played by Natalie's real-life uncle Jack Thomas. Candy Matson, Yukon 28209, premiered June 30th, 1949 on NBC West Coast affiliate KNBC. Despite its popularity with local listeners, Candy Matson never found a national sponsor. This was likely due to erratic scheduling on part of NBC. The show was often preempted or aired a day earlier or later than scheduled, making it difficult for listeners to find, let alone potential sponsors. Another issue may have been the San Francisco setting. The local references that made the show successful in the Bay Area likely made it less appealing to nationwide sponsors. Candy Matson Yukon 28209 ended April 29, 1951, after 91 episodes. Sadly, only 14 of those episodes are known to be in circulation today. But why focus on the negative when we can forget all our troubles and listen to Devil in the Deep Freeze from Candy Matson Yukon 28209, first broadcast September 30th, 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson. Got an old corpse kicking around you want identified? Know of any good murders you want solved? We've got just the girl for you. Her name is Candy Matson. Mighty cute, too. She fills out a size 12 suit to just the right proportions. Soft blonde hair, two sparkling blue eyes, and all in all, she looks as though she might have stepped right off a Varga calendar. And what's more, she's a private eye. You scoff? You ridicule? I'll let you see for yourselves. Listen. She's talking on the phone right now. Hello, Candy Matson. Hello, Miss Matson. I'm afraid you don't know me. That makes it even. You don't know me. Let's go from there. I've read about you in the papers, Miss Matson. You handle confidential cases. That's right. However, there's a little matter of a fee involved. Yes, yes, I know. I can pay. That's item number one. Now to item number two. What's the confidential case? I can't possibly tell you on the phone, Miss Matson. I said it was confidential. Mm. Okay. Where do you want to talk? I am the proprietor of a restaurant, the Charlemagne in North Beach. Oh, yeah. I ate there once. Oh, that's nice. No, it wasn't. I didn't like the food. Oh. 
However, I'll overlook it. Do you want to talk in about an hour? That will be fine, Miss Matson. Good. And your name would be... Martinello. Carlo Martinello. Okay, Mr. Martinello. And uh, have some ink in your pen. It costs money just to talk. I probably sounded rough and commercial, but you have to be in this racket. Most people look in a private eye as a musician. They invite you to a party and expect you to bring your harp for free. But uh uh-uh. I learned the hard way a long time ago. So now they pay in advance and take their chances later. That's the way it was with this Martinello. I was at home in my penthouse on Telegraph Hill out on the porch taking a sunbath when the phone rings and it's this Carlo character. That part was all right because I can always use new customers. But what made me mad was the fact that I had to stop listening to the 49ers belt the bejabers out of the Cleveland Browns at Keysar Stadium. But I followed through and uncovered a couple of very done-in bodies along the way. Do you like the grotesque in your whodunit? Then follow me and we'll tiptoe lightly through the tibbets, the ponds, and the baccalonies. Because part of the story unfolds at the opera house. Reluctantly, I dressed into something Charlemagne-ish, turned off the 49ers Cleveland game, and went down to talk to Martinello. His place was typical. Located on Powell Street, a garish neon sign, and as you walked in, the air place was air-conditioned by eau de garlic. Yes, miss. You wish a table? I wish a table, yes. With the right party, I'm looking for the owner. I am the owner. I am Candy Matson. Oh, Miss Matson. Walk this way, please. If I could walk that way, I'd revive vaudeville. Pardon? Where is your office? Right over here. Allow me. After you, signorina. Thank you, signor. Here, sit down, please. Thanks. Now, Martinello, what's on your mind? Always, all my life, I have run a very nice, respectable place. Mm-hmm. Until this morning. What's with this morning? I go down to the basement. My icebox is down there. That is where I keep all my meat. So, you wanted some ground round? Oh, no, no. Perhaps I'd better show you. Please, you will come with me. Martinello led the way out of his office and down a flight of stairs. A cold blast hit my face. A musty aroma smothered my nostrils, and if I had had a phobia about darkness, I'd have ducked out then. But I followed the guy, and we ended up in front of a refrigerator about the size of an inquisition chamber. He opened the door, and it was the usual restaurant icebox, choice legs of lamb hanging from hooks potential fillets and thick New York cuts. The box was cold, and I started to shiver. Not from the refrigeration, though, because over in the corner was a man. He looked like something out of a long-lost Arctic expedition. He had a long, flowing mustache, every bristle of which was coated with ice. He was quite frozen and quite dead. I slammed the door shut and reeled out. The sight had staggered my thought processes. Martinello reached over by a salami slicing table and turned on a Mazda, a weak affair that cast dim shadows about the damp basement. Is that your little surprise? Yes, Mr. Matson. That is what I was greeted with this morning. Have you notified the police? Oh, no, no, no. Why not? As I told you, I have run a very respectable place. And, too, that is why I am hiring you. You can get in trouble, you know. Yes, yes, that is why you must help me. 
please, please, Miss Madsen, say you will help me. I will pay you anything you say. I stick my neck out in the strangest places. Now it's a refrigerator. Okay, Martinello, $2,000. What? Make up your mind. Either I freeze your assets or the police find your frozen friend. Yes. All right. Come. I give you the money now. Now we're getting somewhere. What about him? Oh, he'll keep. He's on ice. Well, this was one for the books. Refrigeration the ugly way. I had to ask a few questions if I was to get anywhere. Such as like, do you know the guy? No. Had you ever seen him before? No. Who was the last one to close the icebox last night? I was. Does it lock from the inside? Unfortunately, yes. I was getting places like Wiley was with Hauser. It was inevitable. I had to take my courage in my hand and go down and look at that thing again. There it was, a male Mona Lisa etched in ice. This time I looked closer, I had to. And as I did, I realized I wasn't going to get any identification because this guy was a study in crimson. Underneath all that coating of ice, he was dressed in a devil's costume. I slammed the door once again and went upstairs. There I gave Martinello strict orders not to do a thing. Usually in cases like this, you have to wait for a break. They come along like a forcing hand in poker. So I went home to do some thinking. As I arrived, there was an old friend of mine, Rembrandt Watson. Hello, Dove. I'd almost given up. Rembrandt, how did you get in? Your door was open, dear. I took the liberty of coming in. Oh, sure, that's okay. How are things, Candy? All right, I guess. I'm kind of bush, though. I feel about as devaluated as a British pound. You look wonderful, Dove. What's wrong? I've got a deal, but I don't know where to start. Anything I can help you with? No, thanks, Rembrandt. If I told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. I've never doubted you in the past, dear. I know. Well, I was just called in by a minestrone merchant in North Beach. The guy is stuck with a corpse. That's about par for the course. The deceased had been sealed in the icebox overnight. I've never seen one like that before. That's the way it is, dear. Many are called, but few are frozen. Oh, get out of here. But, Dove, I just got here. I know, but I've got to change and get down to see Mallard. I'll wait for you, Candy. I haven't seen the gumshoe since before me vacation. All right. I'll be with you in a few moments. I did a fast change, and Rembrandt and I climbed into my car, and we dropped off Telegraph Hill on Don Kearney Street. The Hall of Justice, where Mallard hangs his star, is only a few blocks away, so we made it in about five minutes. Inspector Ray Mallard, homicide, San Francisco police. A lovable, shaggy dog type of character. Very keen with the crime, but dumb with the dame. Me, for instance. If I want him to say yes, he says no, and vice versa. Well, my ever-loving candy. What's new in the private eye business? Very little. How's the legitimate fatfoot record? Oh, we're holding our arches up. Well, and Rembrandt. I haven't seen you since Pup was a Hector. Please, Inspector, you're metting your mixophores. Who writes this dialogue? I'm pretty weak, I know. What's on your mind, Candy? A character named Carlo Martinello. Have you got anything on him? <laughs> What's so funny, Mallory? Nothing, except I eat lunch there about every day of the week. Well, answer my question. Well, there's nothing on Martinello. Arrested a couple of times during Prohibition. He was dabbling in grappa a lot under the table. Have yous got a case against a guy, Detective Matson? Oh, cut it out. No, seriously. Why do you want to check on a guy, Candy? No reason. Just thought I'd ask. 
Uh-huh. Well, Martinello's okay. Just trying to make a living. Only thing I don't like, he loves to sing to his customers. <laughs> That'd be enough to bankrupt him right there. Anything else I can do? No, that takes care of everything. I tell you what, I'm through in about an hour. I'll take you up to Martinello's for dinner. You can see for yourself. No, 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 that, that, that's all right. Okay, Candy, give. Why, Mallard, dear, what on earth do you mean? You know something about something. I want in. Mallard, and, and I want you to believe this. I mean it sincerely. If I knew something, you'd be the last to know about it. He's got something there. Come now, believe us a while. I hate to do things like that to Mallard. He's been of great help to me in the past. More than once, he's saved my life. But on a deal like this, you have to play it close. After all, a girl has to make a living. For the first time in a long time, I was completely baffled as to where to start. Something had to be done about that cadaver in the icebox, but what? While I was beetling my eyebrows, Rembrandt invited me up to his place for tea. He lives on California Street, just down away from old St. Mary's and only a bail bond broker's reach from the Hall of Justice. So I accepted. Do forgive the looks of the place, Candy, dear. I had a meeting my philatelist group last night. Philatelists? The stamp collectors, dear. Well, I know what they are, but I didn't think they could make such a mess. You don't know philatelists. <laughs> Sit down, though. Make yourself comfortable. I shan't be a moment. That's all right. And Candy, dear, why the wrinkles? I've got cause for wrinkles. This chap in the icebox, Rembrandt. There's something I didn't tell you. He was dressed in a devil's costume. There, there, dear. Your tea will ready in just a minute. You'll feel better. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. What are you going to do, Candy? I don't know. I can't leave him in that refrigerator forever. Well, get him out, dear. I hate to think of a corpse catching pneumonia. Oh, excuse me, Candy. Help yourself to the tea. Mm -hmm. How do you do? Rembrandt Watson Enterprises. Oh, hello, Templeton. How are all your steamships? Oh, that's good. What? Could I use do what? To the opera? Of course I could. Right, oh, I'll pick them up at your office. Thank you, Templeton. Goodbye. Candy, dear, do you like the opera? I can take it or leave it. Why? It suddenly develops that I have two tickets tomorrow night for Tales of Hoffman. Oh, Rembrandt, I don't think I come, can Come, come, Candy. It'll do you good. You've been working too hard. You need a little relaxation. Tales of Hoffman, hmm? Okay. Who's the pal who gave them to you? An old friend of mine, Templeton Woodruff. He runs a steamship to Java and other places Ezio Pinza sings about. <laughs> I finished the tea and left. Right then, the only opera I could think of was the one going on in an icebox at Martinello's. I've always tried to play straight with Ray Mallard, so I decided to tell Martinello my plan. Miss Mudson, I don't think it's such a good idea Good evening, to... Carlo. I want to talk to you. That's what I mean. There's a gentleman here who... Oh, well, you've got a gentleman. That's fine. Three more and you've got a crowd. What I want to talk to you about is this. You don't understand. The gentleman I'm talking about is from the police. The police? Yeah. Hello, Candy. Mallard. How about some scallopini? Well, up jumped the... Hello, Mallard, dear. I had an idea you'd like dinner here tonight. Uh, do you know my boy, Carlo? Yes, yes, we've met. How do you do? How do you do? The signorina wish something to eat? No, no thanks. I want to talk to you, though, Mallard. Sure, come on into my booth. We'll share some salami. No, no thanks. I want to see you downstairs. I don't think the food's as good down there. I agree, but it isn't the food. I'm talking about murder. 
Once again, I headed down into the catacombs of the Charlemagne. This time, the act was a double. Mallard was right behind me. Then I looked around. We were a trio. Martinello was right behind Mallard. This is it. This is what? This is an icebox. Inside, you'll find a body dressed in a devil's costume. Okay, Carlo, let's humor the lady. Open the thing, will you? I... Yes. I'll open it. Lovely view of the beef. It's gone. The body's gone. Okay, Martinello, start talking and make some sense while you're doing it. Please, Miss Matson. I don't know anything. I haven't been down here all day. Get rid of those arched eyebrows, Martinello. You know something. What is it? Wait a minute, Candy. I'll do the questioning. In the first place, Carlo, was there or was there not a body in here? I... Well... Sure there was. He can't deny it. Here's a check for $2,000 signed by Martinello himself. Well, Carlo? Yes. There was a body, all right. Who was it? Friend of yours? No, Inspector. I never saw him before. Why did you call Miss Matson? Why didn't you come to see me about it? Well, you know, Inspector, the police... Uh, just because you were once arrested for bootlegging, Carlo, is no reason to be afraid of the police. Uh, well, I'll put a couple of my men on the job and see what we can turn up. What? Is that all you're going to do, Mallard? No. Right now, I'm going back upstairs and have some of Carlo's scallopini. Mallard, are you out of your head? Look, Candy, in order to have a murder case, you've got to have a body. Obviously, we're fresh out. And until your pal with the devil's costume turns up, I intend to live my typical everyday life. Don't forget the mushrooms, Carlo. There are times when I get so mad at Mallard, I want to scream. I didn't, though. I only scrammed. I hung on to the 2,000, however. I felt I deserved it just for getting my curiosity aroused, and it was aroused plenty. Corpses don't get up and walk out of iceboxes by themselves. But after all, Mallard had a point. There was nothing to be done without a body. So I went home and waded into a stack of dirty dishes that had been piling up. Then I fixed dinner and started a new stack of dirty dishes. Got a book and ducked into bed. In the morning, I had an idea. After breakfast, I went down to the corner of Broadway and Columbus. That's where North Beach does a neat blend with Chinatown. On the corner was a Joe who sold newspapers. I'd known him for some time, and he seemed to like me. Hiya, Butch. Well, hello there, lady. How are you? Good. Can't complain. Who won the football game yesterday? Yeah, funny thing. I got all the news right inside here for seven cents. Mm, I get your point. Give me a chronicle, will you? Sure. Here. Thanks. Who do you like in the feature at Bay Meadows? A goat named Candy. What? What did you say? There's a pig named Candy running in the seventh. Take it or leave it. What a tip. I don't get it. Well, what's really on your mind, lady? Here. Here's a 20. You can play it on Candy all for yourself. Well. Do you know a gent named Martinello Butch? Mm. He owns the Charlemagne down the block. Sure. What about him? That's what I'm asking you. What about him? Oh, he's all right. A little screwy, but he keeps his nose clean. Is that all? Yeah. Should there be more? I don't know. Thanks, Butch. I hope Candy pays off. I was getting nowhere, that was for sure, and the rest of the day went the same way. Dead ends, blind alleys. I checked as many loose ends as I possibly could, but I was still stuck in a quandary. 
but the crusher claimed late in the afternoon when I got a copy of the late paper and read where Candy came in at Bay Meadows and paid $32.20. And I hadn't had sense enough to get aboard. When I got home, the phone was ringing. Hello, Candy Matson. Oh, you're Candy Matson. I should play a fanfare. Oh, hello, Rembrandt, dear. How are you? Like an October morning. Every single one of me paws is breathing great, huge gulps of air. What? I just had a facial dove. Most invigorating. Uh, what on earth for? I loved your old pores just the way they were. Candy, you've forgotten. I have? Forgotten what, Rembrandt? We're going to the opera tonight. Oh, Ducky, I'm sorry. I had forgotten. I'm afraid I'll have to renege. Now, Candy, you promised. And I don't care what you're involved in. It'll do you good. But, Rembrandt, I'm working on it. Perhaps you're right. Okay, I'll get ready. Wonderful, dear. Pick me up about a quarter of eight, will you? Pick you up a quarter of eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and another thing, Lamb. We may have to do some entertaining afterward. Uh, do bring some cash, will you? Mm-hmm. That's the girl. <laughs> That Rembrandt, always stony broke. I guess photography isn't what it's cracked up to be. I didn't mind, though. He's been a friend to me on more than one occasion. Then if I was going to the opera, I had to start thinking in operatic terms. I fished around in the closet and came up with something that would have done any woman's heart good. One of those strapless affairs that you can't stop breathing in for one moment, otherwise the opera is no longer the main attraction. I powdered perfume, pouted and rouge, and took off after Rembrandt. But just as I started to leave... Just a moment. Well, get a load of the Duchess. Mm-hmm. It won't be Halloween for another couple of weeks yet. Oh, very funny. Come on in, Millard. What are you decked out for, Candy? Something you wouldn't understand. I'm going to the opera. Oh, I love the opera. Any horse opera with Tex Acuff in it. That's what I thought. What's on your mind, Mallard? I've got to pick up Rembrandt in ten minutes. Well, I was just driving by, so I thought I'd stop and tell you the news. News? About what? We found El Diablo. The guy in the icebox? Yeah. Martinello identified him. He was floating in the water off Aquatic Park. Any lead on him? The best. He was Salavini, the second baritone with the opera company. That's all, Candy. I hope you enjoy the performance tonight. <laughs> A baritone with the opera company. Well, that explained the costume, but it didn't explain a lot of other things. I walked down the stairs with Mallard. He got in his squad car, flicked on the flashing red light, and with a burst of his siren, rolled down the street. I'd have to speak to Mallard about that. All the neighbors had their heads out of their windows as I climbed into my car and followed. What an exit. I picked up Rembrandt, and we drove up to the Civic Center. I found a place to park. A minor miracle. The last time I went to the opera, I had to drive almost to Palo Alto and come back by train. Rembrandt's friend must have been very influential. We had seats in the Diamond Horseshoe. They were presenting Tales of Hoffman, and a friend of mine, Dorothy Warrenchold, was singing the role of Antonia. It was a fine performance, and after the last curtain, I took Rembrandt, and we went backstage to see Dorothy. This is her dressing room, Rembrandt. Yes? Hello, Dorothy. This is Candy Matson. I have a friend with me. Oh, do come in, please, Candy. Candy, how are you? Couldn't be better. Dorothy, may I present Mr. Watson? Rembrandt, this is Miss Warrenchold. Delighted. You're in magnificent voice tonight, dear, dear. Thank you. Sit down, won't you? 
I've only a moment. We're rehearsing some of the scenes in Faust tonight. Rehearsing after a full evening's performance? It has to be done, Candy. Our baritone disappeared. We've had to replace him with a new man. Yes, yes, I know. By the way, Dorothy, I heard you on your Standard Hour broadcast a few weeks ago. It was a wonderful performance. I'm glad you liked it, Candy. I always look forward to those. What are your plans, Dorothy? Well, the season closes here, and then we open in Los Angeles. Oh, yes, of course. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Come in. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had guests. That's all right. Oh, Candy, I'd like to introduce Rolf Herbert. This is Miss Matson and Mr. Watson. Nice to meet you. Mr. Herbert is our new baritone. Oh, yes. That's why we're rehearsing tonight. I uh, won't take any more of your time, Dorothy. I just thought we'd save a few moments of rehearsal if I told you that I don't uh, move in that last scene. I sing upstage. That will leave you free to take as much stage as you like. Fine, Rolf. That will save time. Thanks. Oh, not at all. Glad to have met you, Miss Matson, Mr. Watson. Nice to have met you, sir. Yeah, see you on stage, Dorothy. Yes, Rolf. Rolf has a wonderful voice, and he's a good actor, too. You know, I think he'll be even better than Salavini. I've seen him before. Oh, yes, he's been in pictures and on the concert stage, and in opera, too. But he's, he's never really had a good break. This might be it. Uh-oh, that's it, Candy. I'm sorry, but I'll have to leave. Certainly, Dorothy. Say, why don't you stand in the wings? You can watch the rehearsal if you'd like. Oh, I'd love it. Come on, then. Follow me. All right, the places, everyone. Places. This is all right, Candy. You can stay right here. Thanks, Dorothy. Glad to have met you, Mr. Watson. Also, as we used to say in the theater, go out there and kill him. <laughs> See you later. Where is Miss Warrenshaw? Ah, there you are. Herbert! Where's Herbert? I saw him just a moment ago in the dressing room. Well, it's late. We've got to keep moving. Please, somebody find Herbert. Ah! From way up in the heights of the stage, the opera house was pierced with a blood-curdling scream. That was no ordinary scream. It was the scream of death. You wait here, Rembrandt. Keep your eyes open. I'm going up to have a look. That scream wasn't in the score of Faust. I punched the button for the backstage elevator. It's a good thing they work fast and are speedy. Once inside, I pressed the button for the fourth gallery. I got out. This was the top of the opera house. The place was loaded with old sets, props, paper mache alligators, gold goblets. Then, over on the other side of the catwalk, I saw it. The body of a man all crumpled and distorted. I hit the catwalk and ran over. It was a hundred feet above the stage, and as I looked down, I could see a score of strained faces looking up through the darkness. I got on the other side and bent over the body. It was that of Rolf Herbert. Candy, down here. I think your man just ducked down underneath the stage. Again, I did a Mel Patton. The elevator shot me down to the stage level, and there was Rembrandt, wild-eyed. He came down the elevator on the other side, Candy. Then he cut across the stage and down those steps. Come on, Rembrandt, follow me. I may need help. We ran down the steps and into the bowels of the stage. It looked like a nightmare, a myriad of cross beams of steel for the rising stages. We cleared those and went around by the chorus dressing room. There was only one out. I remembered it. A door over in the corner, very seldom used, but it was open. It led into a long tunnel with giant steam pipes running overhead and to the right. This went underground over to the veterans' building. Down by your feet, there's a stream of water flowing in a trough. It's the old Hayes Valley Creek. 
our killer decidedly knew his opera house. As we entered the tunnel, I could see him up ahead running like crazy, so we took off after him. We made the other side, and it breaks into a big engine room. As we came into the opening, I looked around. The engineer was lying on the floor out like a light, blood spurting from his scalp. Then I glanced up. There was another door. This led into the veterans' building itself and an avenue of escape onto Vaness. I ran up. Then as we got into the long corridor, I saw Martinello breaking for the door. Stop! Stop, Martinello! Stop! You think I am a fool? I do if you don't stop. Try and get me. Okay, pal. You ask for it. It was the first time I had ever shot a man. It didn't feel good. But he lived. And later, the doctors of law gave him a little pill. The cyanide kind they dropped inside the gas chamber at San Quentin. Martinello paid his debt. Details? Sure, I'll fill him in now. Martinello loved to sing. Ray Mallard had told me that. For years, Carlo had been hanging around the opera house, hoping to step into a role. This season, a director had jokingly told him that if he ran out of baritones, he'd let Carlo take over. Carlo took him seriously. He lured Salavini down to his restaurant on a fake emergency call, costume and all, and did him in. But then he became frightened. That's when he called me. It was worth $2,000 to have me hush things up. But I don't operate like that. He had a hunch I was going to tip off Mallard. That's when he removed the body from the icebox and dumped him into the bay. Carlo had also been at the performance of Tales of Hoffman. That's when he learned that they'd wrestled up Rolf Herbert to sing in place of Salovini. By this time, Martinello was obsessed with the idea of singing in the opera house and wouldn't stop at anything. Right after Herbert's left Warren Schold's dressing room, he managed to get Herbert's into the elevator and up to the fourth gallery behind the stage. That scream was produced by a six-inch stiletto through Herbert's heart from the hands of Martinello. And that's when our chase began. I hope I never see that tunnel under the opera house again. That Mallard and his sentiments... It was he who gave me that gun just a week before, for my birthday. He said I needed protection. Well, darn it, I do. But I can't get Mallard to believe me. Instead, he just gives me guns. Listen again at this same time next week. For excitement and adventure, just dial... Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Heard tonight were Harry Bechtel as Ralph Herbert, Jerry Walter as Carlo Martinello. Henry Leff plays the role of Inspector Mallard and Jack Thomas as Rembrandt. Dorothy Warren Schold, star of the Standard Hour and the San Francisco Opera Company, was heard as herself. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and produced by Monty Masters. With the exception of Miss Warren Schold, any resemblance to actual people in tonight's play is purely coincidental. Candy Matson comes to you from San Francisco. This is Dudley Manlove speaking. You are tuned for the stars on NBC.
That was The Devil in the Deep Freeze from Candy Matson, Yukon 28209, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And again, as we uh, head into this 2021, we are uh, selecting our own instead of these themes and listener requests and we're not selecting anything. Joshua is selecting shows for us. <laughs> and this one, again, came from Joshua, said, here, listen to this. Now, I, I'd like to point out there's no animosity toward that. First of all, it's a lot less work for me when you say, here, listen to this. Thank you. Uh, second, your slugging percentage is over 600 with me. You, you do very well. <laughs> and when you send me a candy, Matson, even if I end up hating the episode, there's no way I'm going to end up hating the episode in the sense of... It's worth listening to any Candy Matson just for the patter alone, mm-hmm. just for the dialogue ridiculousness of the whole thing. Uh, so thank you. Why did you pick this Candy Matson out of the 14 that are still in circulation? For the banter. <laughs> <laughs> I was torn because I think uh, there are a number of Candy Matsons with plots that actually makes sense, unlike this one. Um, (laughs) But of the three or four I listened to to choose one, this one made me laugh the most. And most of all, I associate Candy Matson with fun and joy and a big smile on my face when I'm listening to it. So I decided to go with dialogue over narrative. And when the stories don't hold together, they're still fun stories. The set pieces are always fun. Um, But there's no detecting in this by (laughs) Candy Matson at all. She goes to an Italian restaurant, then the opera, then shoots a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have a lot of plot questions. And uh, I was enjoying myself, but when it was over, I ended up saying, what just happened? And so... This show is so charming that every flaw made me love it more. Yeah, you have no plots. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> The best I can figure is a guy killed a guy to get into the opera. He also Mm -hmm. owns a restaurant. Then he put Mm -hmm. him in his deep freeze in his devil suit and then called Candy Matson and said, hey, come here and solve this. Ostensibly at the end, Candy says that she was hired to cover up the crime somehow or to lie to the police. And I don't understand the logic. Why, if you murdered somebody... You would hire a private eye and give them a check with your name on it and yep. tell them there's a body in my walk-in <laughs> freezer. Plus, if you have that kind of meat hanging, you got some serious butcher tools. <laughs> there's got to be a better way to get rid of that. Plus, there's other ways to be a baritone in the opera. Plus, you own a restaurant. <laughs> Don't you have enough going on that you, that you have to pursue your dream of baritoning an opera? But Martinello, I think that's his name, he is just terrible at everything. He, they, they go out of their way right. to let you know he's a terrible restaurant owner. His, his food is terrible. He can't sing. And he can't murder anybody, <laughs> get away with it at all. <laughs> so he's, he's just a three-time loser. But the cop eats there every day. Well, it's Mallard. He's a big, dumb cop. I think that was kind of the joke. Uh, uh. I love the bit at the top where most of the dialogue is either super clever or just weird, except for this exchange that's just a blunt, cruel statement of fact. And that's when Martinello tells Candy about his restaurant and she says, oh, I ate there once. And he goes, that's nice. No, it wasn't. I didn't like the food. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's no joke. No, no clever. It's just, you suck. <laughs> and, and then his reaction was like, oh. It was a very awkward moment. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's so good. I wasn't alone. And then I did have this moment of, oh my God, she shot someone. And then she says, I shot someone. I'm like, oh, that's real. Like, and then she says, first one I ever, person I ever shot. I was like, yeah, that's a heavy deal. Right. And so I thought that was kind of interesting that that happened, but here's what I don't get. Why did she shoot him? He was going to run away. She said, <laughs> okay. she said, stop or I'll shoot. And he didn't stop and she <laughs> shot him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was because he was running away. Yeah. I'm not going to make any statement right now <laughs> at all. I mean, if he was threatening her in any way. The food was terrible. <laughs> okay, you're yes. right, Tim. You're right. You're right. Yeah, It I was th- her Yelp review. Is to <laughs> shoot him in the back. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't seem like enough cause no. for her to shoot okay. and murder her first person ever. We're making dark jokes in a modern context, but I yes. mean, I do think in 1949 or 1950, whenever this was, um, he's been established as a guy who's just murdering people left and right. He's just stuck a six-inch stiletto sure. into this other tenor. Um, right. So I think in the world, you're supposed to believe he is a danger to right. everybody. Take a wild guess and think that Eric, like me, thought he was stabbed with a shoe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when that came out, I was like... How hard do you have to push? (laughs) And how much do you have to just sit there and take it before that shoe makes penetration and goes into, and by the way, into the heart? Or are your stilettos really that sharpened? And why? Why are they so sharp that you could go thunk and it would go right through flesh and bone and into the heart? Well, that, that's, that's your problem as listeners, not uh, <laughs> not the script. <laughs> problem. I, I love that's how a you, bonus. <laughs> I love how you made it our fault. Yeah, I can write anything I want. If you don't like it, that's your fault as an audience member, not hey, on uh, me. Yeah, think harder, listen better. F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking was... of listening badly, am I the only one who heard some entendre? I can't read the exact question. That was too mallard about his sausage, but then she wanted to take him downstairs. Yeah. That's some saucy talk there, right? I'm not, that's not just me imagining that. No. As soon as they're in the Italian restaurant, like everything he says is a double entendre, it feels like. It's naughty hey, times. Yeah. Come into my booth and have some of my sausage. I mean, it's not even, he's like, <laughs> single entendre. Yeah. Let's have sex on this table. That's just sort of said. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Here's another thing that was really disconcerting to me. I never found out if San Francisco or Cleveland won. See, I was just like, this is some football thing. Eric will give us some context. No, no context. What was the year of this? Mm, I can't remember. 1949, I think. Yeah, it was Cleveland. Cleveland won. (laughs) You're just saying that. No, based on strength of teams back then. That's a hundred years since the San Francisco team was established. I I didn't look this up, and this is off the top of my head, but it had 49ers could not have been around very long in 19. The NFL was still in its infancy, but anyway, uh, I do like that line by the uh, guy selling newspapers. You can find out for seven cents. (laughs) Stop asking me who won the game. That scene with the newspaper guy and bookie serves like zero purpose to the story. (laughs) 
I mean, don't get me wrong, again, I love everything about it, but it just exists to make it look like Candy did anything resembling detective work. She just has to go out and find a guy that she asks, hey, you know anything about this guy who owns the Italian restaurant? Not much? Okay, let me place a winning bet in your name. And, yep. <laughs> and, and like, that's the end of the scene. Yep. Well, and they're like, we've had fun for about 25 minutes, but now that's all over. Let me explain to you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wrap-up was very, oops, we need to figure out what was going on here. Um, and again, it just charmed me to, to no end of like, you forgot to tell people what happened. That's so adorable. You're such a great show. <laughs> I mean, she always wraps it up at the end because the plots are usually fairly convoluted where yep. she has to go through it very carefully. Uh, Pat Novak for Hire is like that too. There are a lot of similarities between Candy Matson and Pat Novak for Hire actually, but the plots usually make so little sense that you need a, a what feels like five minutes of exposition at the end to just right. connect all the dots. Let me ask you guys something about a bit that they did in this that I think has occurred in everyone I've heard, maybe mm. not all of them, and that is the third wall breaking, who wrote this? And ah. the first time I heard that, I was like, that's funny. That's cute. I like that. I like that giving yourself in the writer's crap for the, a bad joke. The third time I've heard it, it's starting to become a crutch, not funny anymore. So <laughs> you can get away with that like once. You can reference yourself mm. all you want and break the, but it's the same joke. Who wrote this? Is the I same joke. Have to, hate to break it to you, but she got away with it ninety-one times. That's how many episodes <laughs> they did. <laughs> so you can get away with it more than three times, I think. I, I was placed wondering... it right after <laughs> metting my mixophores, which like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they won ten seconds of old tired joke for me. Like, good yeah. enough. That does it. This made me think, was that a game that they played? It made me wonder if it wasn't in the script, but they just agreed that somewhere in the script, someone was going to put that at okay. the point where they thought the jokes got too <laughs> stupid for words. Because the reaction by Mallard in this one seemed very non-character and more actor. It was, <laughs> yeah. it, it was there was a smile to it. I'm going to tell myself from now on that that was it. There was a game they played. And if that's the case, then I love it. It's extra funny to me, too, because every time she says who writes this dialogue as the listener, you're like, your stupid husband. (laughs) 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 And I think that's kind of intentional. They put it in at moments of where the writer has already sort of like poked the head out and like, I can't remember the the line before that of Medimimix Mix of Fours and when Pup was just a Hector. That is needlessly cute. Cute's not the right word, but... <laughs> clever? Yes. Too clever by half. Yeah. And he's not even mixing his metaphors, technically. He's just having an attack of, I don't know, dyslexia. He's switching it around, but it's the same metaphor. It's like a spoonerism with the whole word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not as funny of a line as metting your mixaphors. <laughs> There's a great line when uh, Martinello says, uh, walk this way, and Candy says, if I could walk that way, I could revive vaudeville. <laughs> I think that's the line that made me bring yep. this to the podcast. I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be good. Or the pun award goes to Rembrandt's, many are called, but few are frozen. <laughs> 70 years old, and it just kills me. It's amazing. Yep. And some great over-the-top alliteration that these crime shows always want to do when she says, keen with crime, but dumb with the dames. It's just, <laughs> it's just fun. How's the flatfoot racket? Oh, we're holding our arches up. (laughs) I love that line. I love that. Um, FYI, 
They played to a 21-21 tie, San Francisco and Cleveland in 1949. But Cleveland went on to win the championship. So she missed a great game. (laughs) Uh, Any other thoughts on this one, gentlemen? Oh, oh, so many. Rembrandt belongs to a philatelist's club, which just, (laughs) I think, intentionally sounds like something that might involve putting your car keys in a (laughs) fishbowl. I know it's a stamp enthusiast, but it involves licking. (laughs) What requires being cleaned up after, too. Yeah, at this point, Candy Matson could just slap me. I'm like, good job. Good job, Candy Matson, slapping me. Her, herself, or the show? The show. Yeah. Just, I, I've been so thoroughly uh, taken by the show and the dialogue and the performances that I can't be critical. I'd probably let her slap me, too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, why not? Go ahead, slap yeah. me. I don't care. She's got a gun. What uh, am I going to do? Stop her? Is this the same guy playing Rembrandt as in other episodes? Yes. Sounds, Jack he, Thomas. It's supposed yeah. to be her uncle. I've read it in numerous uh, places. Right. The character seemed a little different than in other episodes I've heard. He's not drunk in this. Like some right. episodes, he's clearly inebriated. Right. Um, I listened to one episode in which it was stated very explicitly that he had given up booze. So I don't know if maybe they got complaints, but I, I don't think this was the era in which no. people complained about people anything. drinking. About anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I uh, wonder if it was just uh, writing as Jack came in. All right, uh, Rembrandt's going to be drunk. (laughs) Her uncle has shown up (laughs) soused again. Uh, I like that Rolf, the singer, is introduced in a just hurried exchange of lines just so that we know who got murdered. He sticks his head in the dressing room, right, and says, uh, I'll just play downstage, do whatever you want upstage. Right. <laughs> It'll make rehearsal go faster. <laughs> yep, I caught that, too. It's actually reversed. I'm yeah. not trying to be a jerk, uh, but he said, I'll stay upstage, you go downstage, go uh, wherever you want, and then we'll be done. And I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Yep. That <laughs> I'll be in the other room getting stabbed with a stiletto. <laughs> <laughs> that is every tech rehearsal I've had with Joshua Scrimshaw. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to go over here and stand here and do this. Okay. <laughs> do what you're going to do. <laughs> it doesn't work. As Tim says, I can't stop you. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, and then I thought it was interesting that Dorothy Warnschold was a real opera singer, as they mentioned oh. at the very end. She played herself, and I looked that up, and she was a soprano who worked for the San Francisco Opera and did a lot of radio work during the 1940s and 50s in the Bay Area. I also looked Dorothy <laughs> up, and she tied Cleveland 21 <laughs> 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 That was not a laugh of, you're so fun, Eric. <laughs> Uh, final thoughts or do you want to send it to a vote my final thought though is again this contains one of those weird ideas that you shoot a guy and you're relieved mm-hmm. at least I didn't kill him and then she immediately goes into the quip about him being put to death yep. in the gas chamber <laughs> I saved his life to die in the gas chamber and it made me wonder if Martinello uh, met Roger from last week's escape <laughs> <laughs> in the gas chamber. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, Roger was his yoga instructor. I don't know. Right. <laughs> now they got to go back and listen to that and tie that joke in. 
Well, let's throw it to a vote, Joshua. You All brought this to us. What do you think? Like we've already said, the dialogue and performance is more than make up for the non-existent story. <laughs> uh, there's just something inexplicably charming about the show's devil-may-care attitude toward plot and logic. Like Tim said, I don't understand why, but it, it somehow works. Um, mm-hmm. In all seriousness, though, I do think um, Monty Masters and all the people behind this must have known that that's what the audience really liked. They, they weren't there to listen to a mystery. They were there to hear fun wisecracks being thrown around and to uh, just appreciate the characters. So, yeah, I definitely think it stands the test of time. I don't know if it's a classic of Candy Matson. They're similar enough. It's hard to designate one a classic over the other, but I think Candy Matson as a series is a classic. There's nothing else like it except for Pat Novak for Hire, which is totally not like it at the same time. I would agree with that exactly, that uh, Candy Matson as a whole is a classic. Individual episodes... These are not towering achievements in radio production, but everyone we've heard so far absolutely stands the test of time. Any person listening now, I think, would just fall in love with it. I, yep. There's something wrong with you if you don't love Katie Madsen. by gum. Um, so, yes, stands the test of time. Sorry for my language. Uh, oh, yeah. We just lost that one really cranky listener <laughs> who doesn't like Candy Madsen. Or gum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say that Candy Matson is a show that you could take to someone who's like, I'm not big into old time radio or I haven't listened to much of it. And they'd say, oh, yeah, that certainly is a period piece and it's quaint, but they certainly would have a lot of fun with the dialogue. I, I would have a hard time thinking that anybody would listen to this and not crack a smile and go, OK, that banter is hilarious or at least quaint and interesting and fun. This show is fun. And I think Joshua hit it on the head. I don't think they ever cared about the plot. I think this was about banter and about the back and forth. I think what they really were focused on, to be honest with you, is the underlying, will she ever get together with Mallard was like the only plot point that they really cared about and really Mm -hmm. focused on. And the rest was this all this stuff happened while I again tried to uh, you know get some sausage in a booth, <laughs> and so. Um, <laughs> but I do thoroughly enjoy everybody's performances. It's even more amazing when you consider it's a husband and wife team. These aren't giant big name stars. This is, please forgive me, but local community theater almost type people that have struck gold and came up with a really cool concept and some great fun. And that's all it is. Yeah, to give a little extra praise, uh, Candy is a great character, hilarious to listen to. Rembrandt is. But the actor playing Mallard, too, I mean, that's yeah. just a straight guy character. He does a fantastic yeah. job. Mm-hmm. He does. keeps up with all the patter. Absolutely. It's always interesting to me when I listen to Kenny Matz and I'm like, none of these people went on and did anything else. I think there isn't a lot of uh, resume outside of Candy Matson. Uh, Natalie Masters went on to be in TV. She was a character actor through yeah. into the 60s and in uh, various small roles on right. television. So she did continue to get work. I'm just saying bigger. If I would have heard Candy Matson and been one of those people that can pull the trigger on stuff, I would have given her her own television show. Like the, the, her ability to carry You would have shot scene. that baritone in the back. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> As it ran away from me, <laughs> screaming, please don't shoot me. I'm just... I'm just murdering baritones. <laughs> Bear-atones, yes. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. 
Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. There are other episodes there, other episodes of Candy Madsen. There's a feature where you can look up by series, like I want to listen to other episodes of this particular series, and you can do it. You can also <laughs> link to our social media pages. You can leave us messages, recommend episodes to us. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you think of these episodes. There's all kinds of things. Take a look. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, we cry a little each month when we get a check. <laughs> <laughs> Tears of joy and gratitude. So yep. thank you guys who've already supported us. And if you uh, are interested, go check out what sort of benefits we do monthly Zoom happy hours with all of our Patreons. Um, we have members only <laughs> podcasts. We have membership cards. It's the real deal, people. Check it out. If you'd like to see our theatrical performances, Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society does original radio shows that we write and also recreations of uh, scripts from classic radio shows that we do in conjunction with Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. Right now in January 2021, since we are not on stage yet, uh, as that stopped a while ago, uh, we will be soon, but we are still doing performances. Please check it out at parksquaretheater.org. You can buy a ticket and watch us uh, perform on your computer. Gather around the computer and watch us do stuff. Well, this one should come out in time for us to tell them what we're doing this month. Is that correct? I wouldn't. I don't trust us. <laughs> <laughs> so please go to parksquaretheater.org or ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com to find out all the information about our podcasts, uh, what we're doing, and our shows with Park Square Theater. What's coming up next? Next, we have another choice by the egomaniac that is me. Um, it is going to be Only the Dead Die Twice from Inner Sanctum Mystery. Until then... Who writes this dialogue? Your stupid husband. <laughs> <laughs> right.